Welcome, everybody, to the Illusion of Consensus podcast. I am Professor Jay Bhattacharya. I'm here today with uh, Dr. Reed Scheftel. Uh, Reed and I have got to know each other through the pandemic, uh, mainly through a series of podcasts that Reed hosted. Uh, Reed, I think we, we recorded something like 20 to 24 hours of podcasts together, where we discussed basically every every aspect, uh, nearly, it felt like nearly every aspect exhaustively about the, the science of the pandemic, how, how fast the disease spread, how deadly disease is, uh, was, is, um, you know, the vaccines, a whole host of topics, uh, just some very hot button topics. Uh, and, and to me, the, the, the striking thing about that was we had a really uh, a friendly agreement on many, many things and friendly disagreements on many other things. It, it was actually kind of like a scientific discussion or debate in many, many cases. It was I, I, I greatly enjoyed that. And, I'm, and I've been looking forward to inviting you to this podcast just so I can introduce the audience to you. And Reed, before you get to say a word in edgewise, uh, I, I just want to let the, the audience know something about who you are. Um, just so they can get a, get a sense of this. And I found uh, a, an MIT technology review article from 2008. And I figured I would embarrass you a little by reading uh, the first, uh, first paragraph of it. Uh, all right, let me see if I can, I can find it. Yeah, you'll, you'll like this read. I'm sure you, I'm sure you remember it. Uh, read uh, 1978. That's, I assume, when you graduate from MIT. Read, read 78 is unlike any other doctor you've ever met. In fact, he's probably unlike any other person you've ever met. That is, unless you know other MIT physics majors who taught at the University of Southern California at age 21, earned money counting cards at Las Vegas blackjack tables before med school, performed surgery on burn victims at a Cambodian medical center, and in their spare time, plays professional golf. That, all, mm-hmm. that, 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 that has to be an exaggeration, right, Reed? Is, there, is that all? That's all true. That's all true, believe it or not. <laughs> and I, I so uh, and before we get into the pandemic, I actually I would love to for you to tell the audience a little bit about your work in Cambodia. Because in fact, you're talking to me from Cambodia right now, right? So what do you do? Uh, what, what do you do in Cambodia? Well, I started a charity called Operation Kids in uh, the year 2000. So it's been going on for 23 years. And um, you know, I come over here the first 22 of the years approximately. I stayed here 50 weeks a year, except when I traveled to play a golf tournament or something. Um, but last year I took some time off because I had to do some medical issues uh, that I'd put off. For example, this mass in my neck, I got to get that removed when I go back. Um, but the, the, the thing started out really small, to be honest with you. I just let people know that I could fix children that were burned. There was an acid throwing problem at the time. And um, the kids just floated in. Whenever you offer something free and people need it, you're going to get a lot of action. Acid throwing. So, like, what, what do you mean? Like, they're, like I, think, well, I think you told me once that, they're, that it would be uh, custody disputes or divorces, and people would essentially harm the, their own kids by throwing acid in their face. Is that, is that well, the Well, they would, they would, it was usually a love triangle among the adults. And so the, the spurned woman uh, would get their bodyguards to burn the children of the other woman. That, that was the common scenario. Terrible. And um, so most of my patients were six years old and younger, very small children. Um, but the thing ended up expanding into an enormous uh, program. You know, we, we're doing fixing decubitus ulcers for children that are stuck in wheelchairs because of polio. Um, we fixed eyes. There's some horrible... Um, cross-eyed problems here and we fixed those we pinned ears back that were 
very, very uh, noticeable, 90 degrees to the head almost. Um, we uh, started doing open heart surgery on children that were born with congenital anomalies. Uh, I'm leaving about half of the things out that we do. We even tutor children who are having trouble in school. It, it just got to be a, an enormous thing. And it was still just me doing all of it. But uh, we started branching out in all other um, specialties, basically. With And I would bring a, a help of like an ophthalmologist when we were doing something with the extraocular muscles, something like that. You were in Cambodia then when the when COVID hit. Yes. Um, what was what was that like in the early days? Well, it was very interesting because some of the first information we got was from the Diamond Princess cruise ship. Uh, we got that very early on. Um, we had heard that there was something going on over there, but we heard everything at the same time that someone in America would have heard it about when China announced in December that um, some new virus had escaped into the population somehow um, through natural zoonotic spillover or the quote lab leak theory. Um, and I just followed it. There were a lot of people flying in from Wuhan every day. We had two full flights every single day. So that made it um, personal because I was living in a hotel where they were coming and staying. What about the kids that you were seeing? Like, was was there was there a hit to your uh, like the number of patients that came in? Well, like, were there? Were, I mean, because the, they the Cambodia uh, actually had some restrictions, right, very early on. Well, Cambodia um, really dodged dodged it completely until they started lockdowns. Then people started dying from it. Until then, there were no deaths. Um, it didn't change the volume of cases that came in. And I wasn't as subject to the lockdown as, as the population was because I was a doctor and I had to work and so forth. So um, it didn't affect me too much, the lockdown part. But um, the volume of patients did drop because of it, because people had trouble getting into the clinic to show me their problem. Um, I mean, they're still traumatized children. They just didn't yeah. end up seeing you. Yeah, they were still traumatized. They just couldn't, you know, stand outside my clinic in a line like they used to, you know, with police driving around everywhere and military. So uh, that slowed it down a little. But the big thing that slowed it down eventually was they started prosecuting the acid throwers. Thank heavens. Now that, that did slow the volume down. This was during uh, the lockdown? They did that or children. Hmm? This was during the lockdown or before? No, this is... Um, this is before, a little bit before it started to slow down. And how about, so, but your the volume in your clinic then from, from the traumatized children, the, the burned children slowed down, but there were other, all the other problems you're still addressing. Oh yeah, all of that was the same. The, the congenital anomalies, cardiac anomalies was the same. Uh, decubitus ulcers was the same. Um, fixing, another thing we did was we, we had to redo stumps for uh plastic prostheses that a lot of children have because they stepped on landmines up in mostly in the northwest of the country. They step, they're out playing in the field and they step on a landmine, blows their leg off. Wow. Um, so we have to redo the stumps every once in a while, you know, so, how did, so there's I mean, enough soft so, tissue. So for you, for, as far as your practice, your specific practice goes, it sounds like it wasn't, wasn't impacted too much. You were still seeing a lot of patients. Oh no, it didn't, it wasn't impacted too much no, uh, because we had so many other... other problems at that point. And, and this is even during the lockdown. Correct. Yeah. 
Yeah. And how about so, other other doctors that you interacted with, or other other folks that you interacted? With? What was your observations about how life changed for the population? I mean, Cambodia is a relatively poor country. What what did, what yeah. was it like in a poor country to be locked down? Um. Well, like I said before, there really weren't any deaths here before the lockdowns. Um, it didn't seem like it it was much of a um, problem here. Uh, and, you know, people live on top of each other here. There might be six or seven people living in one room here. It's the common thing. And it just did not spread and did not kill people um, like it did supposedly in other countries. Um, but what was you know, the experience we had of the mandates for a while. We had um, school closures. Were the schools well, you closed? Know, I don't even know if the, I think the schools were closed for a little while. Yeah. But we yeah. had mass mandate school closures, but they were delayed from when they were um, put in place in the West, I think. Um, and then the death started during the lockdown. We well, started getting COVID. some deaths during the lockdown, deaths from COVID, yeah. And um, and then, of course, when the vaccines came out, the, there were some deaths. Um, okay, but so it, it really was not an enormous thing here. Interesting. The, the, the inconvenience of the lockdown was a bigger thing than the disease, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I wrote a paper uh, with Martin Kuldorf and Phil Nagnus a few uh, a couple of years ago on the exceptional performance of the East Asian uh, uh, East Asian countries, including Cambodia. Right. Uh, looking just looking at the early early uh, l- low death numbers low from from COVID, low spread numbers. I mean, it was it was it's it is as you said there were there were a huge number of people. From Wuhan flying in, uh, it, it's it is it is it's a it's a mystery worth exploring, right? Because um, it sounds like the uh, one of the things we noticed in the data was that there wasn't a huge mobility decrease in the in in, in Cambodia and other countries in the East Asian countries during in the early days of the pandemic. In the um, early days, for sure, there wasn't. That's correct. We we later had a problem with having to be vaccinated to leave on a plane, though. But that's in 2020. That, that I'm just let's just say say in 2020. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, in 2020, there wasn't, and and uh, there wasn't. Um, so I mean, so you can't really say the lockdown stopped the disease from spreading if the if people were still mingling with each other. Um, it, it, so the question is why? Why did the East Asian countries do so much better? How, like, when did the masks come in? Well, I think the I don't think the masks. Well, I know that the masks didn't have anything to do with it. I know, but yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, you and I agree on that. But I'd be curious yeah. to, to know in Cambodia when did the mask mandates come in, or did the mask? You said that there were some mask mandates, right? Yeah, when did they come in? Um, sometime in um, in twenty twenty. But the thing about the mask mandates is a lot of people wear masks here anyway. Uh, the girls like to wear them because it keeps the sun off their face. Um. And a lot of the people who ride on motorbikes everywhere just wear them as a matter of course, because a lot of dirt gets in your mouth and everything in nose when you're driving on a motorbike in a dusty country like this. So they wear them just to keep the dirt out of their face. Um, But there was a lot of um, commotion over the requirements, like in my hospital, for everyone that came in the door to wear a mask, things like that. So that's when the mask mandates were in full swing. I mean, you couldn't go into... Certainly, my hospital without wearing a mask, um, and other places like that, you know, other official places where sick people were, and so forth. I mean, it's it's uh, so we can we can uh, we can talk endlessly about the futility oh, sure. of other mask mandates, but and things. Yeah. But um, the the point of the, of the paper that East Asian uh, paper in analyzing the East Asian uh, countries 
and the uh, uh, was that you can't explain it with lockdowns. You can't explain why why they did so much better early in the pandemic with lockdowns. You can't explain it with mass mandates. You can't basically all the interventions we used didn't don't don't correlate with uh, with the control of the spread of the disease. The disease didn't really seem to spread very very effectively in much of East Asia in the uh, in the early day, early stages of the pandemic, despite extensive connections to China. Yeah, I have I have a theory about that. A couple theory, a couple ideas. Um, one of them is that the people here are relatively thin compared to people in the West. So I think that had something to do with it, a little bit. But the big thing is the diet. Um, if you look at people in Japan, remember Japan did very well at first, correct? And yeah. the people in Okinawa are among the longest living people in the world because they they have um, more nitrous in their blood, right? And um, this was this was a disease of the, huh? I, did, I didn't know, know that. Nitrous. Um, I'm going to put the wrong. Uh, suffix on it but it's it's not nitrous oxide but it's something that stays in the blood that's very healthy okay and um the uh, um my theory was that or the theory we wrote in that paper was uh was immunity right there was some like essentially like a different exposure to coronaviruses may have provided some cross immunity early uh not perfect immunity but enough immunity to well, I sort think that's right. that's part of it too. There was some immunity in place here for sure because it's yeah. near China and it mixes with China so much. But I think the biggest thing is that the disease was a it was a um, a disease of the vascular endothelium really. It wasn't a pulmonary disease so much, and and the the fact that it was a disease of the vascular endothelium really benefited by that moiety I just mentioned being high in Japanese people based on the diet that they eat, you know, they eat very, very healthy food. Um, and I think that was the reason why they did so well initially. They didn't have the endotheliitis that other people had that eat poor diets. Okay. And so, I think that's uh, why they live longer too. I mean, I think, I, I, I do think it is an interesting question. I, I have to say, I don't have in my mind uh, clarity as to, or certainty as to exactly an explanation, it, it, but it's, it's undoubtedly true that the East Asian countries, many East Asian countries did a, a lot better early in the pandemic, but then disease hit anyways, like eventually. Right. Then they, they ended up doing not so well later. That's absolutely yeah. true. Um, but, you know, that explains, my, my theory also explains why um, ventilators were um, not the proper treatment and why so many people died who were put on ventilators. I mean, when you've got a vascular endotheliitis, which is reducing blood flow into the lungs anyway, Right and causing clots to form, and then you put them on positive pressure ventilation, that's going to reduce it even further. I mean, the ventilator protocols were far outside of any any norms for managing uh, respiratory uh, Absolutely. But, but I'm talking about from, from a pathophysiology point of view. I really think it was the exact opposite of what they needed to do. When they switched uh, to um, I think, I think most people O2 by nasal cannula, high flow, high flow oxygen yeah. by nasal cannula, they did much, much better. Okay. So I want to, uh, there, there, there are other things I actually want to get to. So let me, let's, okay, let's, let's move on from this. So, um, uh, so when, when did, when did you first start getting skeptical about the COVID narrative? Cause I mean, I think, um, when we did our podcast together, you, you, it sounded, it sounded like you, you knew almost from the very earliest days that there was something fishy about, about like how far the disease had spread 
how uh, uh, deadly the disease was, and so on. Uh, yeah. when, when, did you, when did you start getting skeptical? The very first thing that I made a public post about was where the where the virus got into the human population from, and that was um, the issue of was it a lab leak or natural zoonotic spillover. So on February 20th of 2020, I wrote a paper in my eyes proving that it could not have come from natural zoonotic spillover. Now, it turns out, of course, in my opinion, that it didn't come from a lab leak either. I think it was deliberately released. So on that, I think we uh, probably sure. disagree. You're going to find that very it. controversial, maybe. But I think it was released on um, purpose. Well, so I mean, it was neither a lab leak nor a natural zoonotic spillover, but it certainly I could prove at that point in February of 2020 that it was not coming from natural zoonotic spillover. Okay, so I just want to say, like, I, I, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure I, I, I tend to lean toward the lab leak theory. Um, I, I and uh, and I don't know how you would tell unless you had classified clearance and would to Chinese data to 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 talk about whether it was intentional or not so that that's i'm not sure how you would scientifically try to distinguish um, do you want to get into that? no i don't what i really want to do is i want to i just want to focus on you were you were early on you had this idea that it wasn't a lab leak now this is i'm sorry it wasn't a, a natural uh, uh natural uh uh disease that's that that had spread to the population from bat caves in china or wherever um it's, well, and, from, and, from 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 uh, from the wet market Yes, yeah, we're like trying to come off as saying it right. Came from. So you you had that idea, but back then it was basically uh, if you said that you would get accused of being uh, racist, right? You're saying you're something sure. something bad about the Chinese population um, by the fact that that it comes out of a, a wet market. Whereas, like if it comes out of a, a, a lab in in uh, in in Wuhan, a, you know, a high technology lab, somehow that's not racist. Well, they, well, actually, it was is the other way around. To say that it came from a lab, people people were saying was racist. Yeah, more than some filthy wet market. In other words, yeah. they were trying I mean, to promote that it, it came from either, the filthy right? so, wet market, which is way more of a racist thing to say than it leaked from a lab. I know. That I mean, it seems like you're, since you were saying like the cultural and dietary practices of the Chinese were what led to this. That seemed to me like a more racist idea. Correct. Than um, uh, than than saying that it came from a lab, like based on some research that people were doing. Correct, um, and, but everybody and, else had it backwards. Now you, In other words, I, everybody else was saying it was racist to say it came from a lab. Now, where did you where did you uh, talk about this? Did you try to get the word out? Because like, did you, did you have yeah. a, Okay, so how did how did you uh, how did you try to get the word out? I put a post on Facebook, and basically what the post said was. You know, I like to reason from the most basic axioms and first principles for anything. It was a thing that was beat into me from physics. And also, um, it's my way of thinking about things. I always go back to the beginning and try to figure it out on my own. So one of the fundamental first principles for pandemics forming is to think about the order of things that must happen for a pandemic to occur. And I don't want to go through all six steps, but in my reasoning, one of the steps was missing, which made it impossible for it to have come from natural zoonotic spillover. And let so me just what very happened, what briefly. When you, what when you put it on Facebook? I mean, I assume you must have a lot oh, of Facebook. Oh, it was gone followers. in one day. Gone in one day. What, what, what happened? Gone in one day. Huh? So what happened? Like, what, what did you just got to, you just, they just deleted it and give you a message saying well, you. 
I was a neophyte at this, brand new. So I, I put this thing up and about a day later, I went back to just see what the comments were. You know how you're curious to know what people think after you put a, a controversial thing up like that or a proof and it was gone. And I was so new. I thought, oh my God, I must have loaded it wrong. You know, I blame myself instantly because I couldn't find it anymore. But after what happened to me with this one, my calculation of the infection fatality rate and even my first video, those got taken down too. Okay. So, so you're posting this on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, and uh, did you, did you, so after it started getting taken down, uh, you started posting on YouTube? No, I, I did this one on Facebook and then I did my derivation of the IFR on Facebook. Those got taken down and then I made a video and put it on YouTube that included these two things and other things. And what happened to that video? That was gone too. Now, I, I did stupidly um, titled that video very harshly. I said, I called it Stop the Stars, Stop the SARS 2 Stupidity Doctors, You Are Killing People, which okay. was very harsh. And there were probably nine red flags that came up for whoever it was at YouTube that was taking things down, and they took it down instantly. Listeners can probably tell you and I have very different uh, styles of, of of public conversation. But, oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it's fun to talk I'm with you. Reed, I have to say, um, yeah. I, it's, I, I think I think that like it's it's striking. Like you're an MIT trained uh, physicist. You are MD with decades of experience. Your reasoning when you, the post you're saying. I mean, forget about the the title of your of your YouTube video. The the, the original poster is just like a, a an axiomatic reasoning about. What what the source of this could have been? It would have, presumably you were like you know you, you had your own style, but like the point is it was axiomatic reasoning, right. um, agree or disagree, and Facebook decided it wasn't yeah it wasn't allowed you weren't allowed to say it, right. um, and the IFR. So you I mean I had my own uh, kind of run in with IFRs uh, early in the pandemic. I actually managed to get a piece in the Wall Street Journal basically doing some calculations with the Diamond Princess uh, cruise data and NBA data and else, elsewhere, uh, presumably similar to the kinds of data you're looking at, maybe even exactly the same data you're looking at. Um, yeah. And uh, what I concluded from those data was that we didn't know what the infection fatality rate was, that it could have been very, very low and it could, or it could have been high. And we just couldn't tell from the data without, and, and it called for a study, a seroprevalence study to, yes. uh, to measure in uh, populations and representative populations, how widespread the disease was. Um, now, I didn't know you at the time, but I was very, very pleased to see your data come out because it showed that when someone actually measured it in the community, we got within a reasonable amount of closeness to each other. So it was yeah. very important. That was really important research you did there. Everything else before that point had been based on 2,000 people on a cruise ship. Basis. There are many more, but the, the, the number of people that got the disease on the cruise ship, which also opened me up to another idea, but the number of people that got it was around 2,500, and there were over 4,000 on the ship, if I remember correctly. Is that right? So yeah, that opened I mean, me up to the concept of immunity in place, and only seven people died out of 2,500. Now, when you plug those numbers in, you get about 0.3% as the infection fatality rate. And as you will remember, of course, the powers that be were saying the infection fatality rate was about 4%. Yeah, I mean, remember we, that we got from China Medical and CDC? I mean, the, the World Health Organization said 3.4%. I remember exactly. that. Exactly. So we're talking about a difference of 30 times. 
But you know, it's Not interesting. 30%. Like, uh, let's let's just stay on the topic of of censorship because I think it's really important. Um, All right. So, but so, uh, so, so you 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 post on Facebook your calculations immediately taken down. YouTube is immediately taken down. So I'm a, I'm a professor in a fancy school, and I I put the paper. I c- collect a data set. Uh, representative of the of, of uh, Santa Clara County, and then a later data set, just later that month, like in early April 2020, a data set representative of LA County, same result, right? 0.2% infection fatality rate, 50 times more infections than cases that have been identified to date. It was it was really basically consistent. We wrote a paper in and put it in a preprint uh, publication called Med, Med Archive, uh, and it was striking what happened. Right. So like there we just did every we followed every step. Right. We're not just posting on Facebook, like trying to other means bad enough to like get knocked off Facebook. We post on. But what what ends up happening is essentially like this vicious attack on me and uh, the, the like the, the the other authors of the paper accusing us of there were like hit pieces on my wife. There were death threats. There were there were attacks on on like uh, on 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 what, you know sort of accusing me essentially of taking money for the, and changing the results of the study like absolute lies uh, published in places like BuzzFeed News uh, essentially a de- like a widespread defamation um, mainly because people didn't want to believe the result like they just and, yeah. and in fact there were hundred now studies that 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 came out in the months afterwards from independent uh, groups research groups running similar studies in lots of different places in the world that found roughly the same infection fatality rate in fact the median now some places were higher like i think new york tended to have like you know in the 0.8.9% they were a much older population uh, the ventilator uh, problems were much worse in new york there were other problems in new york uh, it spread in very old places because governor cuomo sent covid infected patients to nursing homes um, and, and other other problems in New York. But like if you go to uh, Cambodia, the infection fatality rates are much lower. Like the, the infection fatality rate in India was lower. Uh, in Africa was lower, much lower, actually. Um, and yeah. so you have this like uh, this result that's like at odds with what the, the authorities are saying, but completely in line with the science is saying, like both from your axiomatic reasoning and the, the, the measurement of infection fatality rate using, using you know, survey data and uh, surveying it, seroprevalence and so on. Um, so, and yet both are met, whether you try to get it through with Facebook or, or, or sort of the social media or through more traditional sources like, uh, you know, preprints and journal articles, you're still met with like vicious attacks on anyone delivering that message. Oh yeah. I got attacked relentlessly by a website from D there's a, there's, I think he's a urologist. There's a doctor in Detroit, the Detroit area that has a website full of hatchet people. And um, boy, they went after me like you wouldn't believe. And I even had a guy in Florida that I've never met before that played junior tennis a couple of years ahead of me. And I was a big junior tennis player then. And he went after my pro golf, you know, <laughs> mentions on the internet. I mean, the guy went crazy over me. He's a far lefty and he tried to attack me personally. I had to put, he said, I don't even know if you really played pro golf. I mean, it got ridiculous. And so I put the order of merit on there with my name on it, number six or whatever it was that year. I put pictures of me on the tour. You don't need to brag. Uh, we were, I already read the MIT story. <laughs> oh, sorry. But I mean, it, no, got I to be, it got to be personal is my point, though. Yeah. And, um, I mean, that, 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 that Michigan doctor's website is still attacking me. You can go and like they're obsessed with me for whatever reason. So do you know who he is? 
Yeah, I who, do. Who, who, okay, so that 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 team of 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 hatchet men went after me too. Um, I mean, <laughs> so, it's, and it, and the the striking thing about a lot of that it was was it, it's exactly what you described, Reed. It was entirely ad hominem, like they were not actually right. interested in discussing the scientific dis- i mean like you know you, you agree or disagree about the science you and i have already had some disagreements about science sure and here we are still friends with each other um, yeah uh, and i think that 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 was that was striking well um, part of it was the people that went after me for the most part were not medical doctors so they, they would have had no chance to discuss anything with me sort of they they didn't know they just knew that there was someone who was going against the woke narrative and that's all they needed to try to embarrass me and defame me and all that and same with your family i'm sure i mean we're serious it, scientists it, wasn't, it wasn't even woke i mean like the, it, although i mean it, it bears some resemblance this was like this was like a major pandemic uh happening a huge policy changes that were like affecting the lives of children of the poor right. working class people enormous things that were uh changing basically the life of everyone on earth and yet, you're not allowed to have scientific discussions about the about the, the about the policy or about the basis, the scientific basis for the policy at all. Um, yeah. It was striking, as, and and you know this this podcast is called the illusion of consensus for a reason. I mean, it 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 was almost as if, in fact, it was as if uh, the powers that be uh, needed to make sure that that they that the public thought that there was no other scientific thinking on it other than. Uh, what the World Health Organization or Tony Fauci or others were saying, like the, everyone else had to be destroyed, even if they had credentials, even if they even if they had better scientific reasoning, none yes. of that mattered. But what, what mattered was you agreed with the public health authorities or, or it else. Was absolutely absurd because it turned out they were all wrong. They were <laughs> wrong about everything. Yeah, any I mean, topic you want to bring up, I can tell you why they were wrong. I mean, I, it was amazing. It, it is, it is, it is striking, right? Does the does the vaccine stop disease stop you from getting and spreading COVID? Reed? No. No. Uh, does, does is is the infection fatality rate three point four percent, like the World no. Health Organization said? The uh, Wuhan is, strain, it was 0.1%. percent. I know we disagree slightly on that. Yeah, I think it's like mean, 0. as 0. a matter of the number. But we're in yeah. the same ballpark, let's say I mean, that. I, I think now, I, I, the Omicron variants are one-tenth of that at most. It, it was even it was even verboten in 2020, early 2020, to say that if you had COVID and recovered, that you would have some uh, pretty strong immunity. In fact, the, the, when we wrote the Great Barrington Declaration, though, two things happened. One, uh, people like Rochelle Walensky, who later became the CDC director, wrote something called the, Lan- the John Snow Memorandum, arguing that uh, based on the premise that we don't know that there's any immunity. This is not in October of 2020. They were saying this even after uh, months of excellent papers and lots of experience with very low reinfection rates from the original strain. Um, it, it, then, and the other thing that the other thing that happened was that there was a the World Health Organization actually changed its definition of herd immunity in 2020. Oh. We can right get into the definitions they changed, and I want to in just a second. But can we go back to the the issue of getting and recovering from the disease not being protective enough? Yeah, remember that they wanted you to take the vaccine anyway. Think about how self contradictory that is. The way that vaccines work is why you're protected if you get and recover from a disease. So they said, oh, that doesn't do enough, so we're going to give you a vaccine. But the mechanism of protection is the same. You know, you build up clonal expansion and memory 
for the antigens that they put in the vaccine or that are on the original bug that you got natural immunity from. You see how it's so self-contradictory, their position? I mean, you could, you could just look at how people recover from and get immunity from uh, other coronaviruses, right? You, you get a coronavirus, one of the standard right. coronaviruses, you have some immunity. Like it's not, you're going to get the same coronavirus immediately. It'll, you'll be protected for probably years. Well, well this is why, and, and when I did the IFR calculation from the Diamond Princess and then just watched as nursing homes had 10 people out of 30 that died and the other people didn't even get it. That tells you right there there's immunity in place in some people. Yeah. Because in, on the cruise ship, they were packed together like sardines. They should have all gotten, if, gotten it if they didn't have immunity in place. And in nursing homes, can you imagine they're the stuffiest places you've ever been in? And one guy gets it for three, two weeks and dies, and he's exhaling it every breath for two weeks. And someone opens his door, it gets sucked into the hallway. And then they open the door to another vulnerable patient, and it gets sucked in his room but he doesn't ever get it. How could that possibly be unless these people have immunity in place? That's why I coined that term. Okay, so it, we have- It ended uh, up being very important in my calculation of how the vaccine was not blocking transmission one month into it, how we reached herd immunity on January 11th, 2021. All these major important discoveries because it would have discouraged people from getting the vaccine and a lot of people are dying from it now. Those, those those things were were passed over by the media, of course, um, and they maybe they didn't completely understand my logic. But those were very important things to show that the vaccines were not preventing you from getting the disease that early on. The the topic of herd immunity is really interesting. Um, I mean, yeah. this, if you have immunity, it's just a law of physics of, of the physics of the biology. You're going to have herd immunity, right? Herd immunity means yes. that when there's immunity in the population, uh, an infected individual just living their life will pass it, pass the disease on to fewer people than they would have if the entire population were immune naive, right? That, right. that that's just a biological fact. Um, yes. And yet it was like a taboo thing. I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily agree about the date. Uh, and the, the idea of herd immunity is like, it's, with something like this, where you do have diminishing immunity over time, right? It's like you you don't keep the antibodies in your pop, in your bloodstream forever. Uh, no, you, they, they have a half life like any molecule, but you do you keep the clonal expansion and memory forever. Yeah, um, because and, and so, yeah, so you're likely to like get when you the second time you get it, it's going to be less severe than the first time you get it. Yes, for, or, right. or so, not at all. Yeah. So yeah. the point is that, uh, but that, that what that means is that you can, you, that as a population, you can go in and out of herd immunity. You can have right. enough immunity so that each additional case uh, only induces one or fewer cases. That's your herd immunity. If if uh, and, and then over time, as immunity wanes in the population, you can get the disease. So you're going to see waves forever, right? Herd immunity is not the same thing as the disease right. going. It's dynamic. Ahead. I, I yeah. like to think of it as a, a cistern of water with water being poured in one end and having a, a a faucet on the other and it's going in and coming out all the time. You follow me? Yeah. That kind of logic. That, that's what it's like. I mean, that's what those models are. Those compartment models, SIR models. That, but it's interesting though, oh. the way that the public health authorities talked about herd immunity first, before the vaccine, it was a taboo thing. It's, it's an impossible thing. You can never achieve whatever it meant. They meant by achieve herd immunity. Uh, you could, it's just, you know, because there's no immunity. Then after the vaccine, 
you have Tony Fauci going around saying, well, you need 60% vaccinated to get to herd immunity, 70%, 80%. And then he, then he says, look, I, I told you a low number because I didn't think you were ready to hear it, that you needed 80%. He's full of it. Let, let me just premise, throw this in. Before the vaccine came out, Dr. Reiner, all these, I call them the MDTV mafia, the guys that were on CNN every day telling you the wrong thing. They were saying you needed 60, 70, and then 90% uh, of the people to get the vaccine for us to reach herd immunity. But when I proved that we reached herd immunity on January 11th, 2021, and you have a problem with the date you just told me, I did, I, I proved it and not a single person had gotten all of the benefits of being vaccinated yet. There wasn't time. So I, Not I think, one person I mean, was vaccinated when we reached herd immunity. So I think, I think, uh, I don't, see again, how important I don't, that is. That absolutely de- destroyed their argument that we needed any percent. I think the Keith problem with that argument was that was the the way that they were making it. They they implied that once you had a certain fraction of the population vaccinated, they were effectively promising the disease would go away. They were equating herd immunity with eradication of the disease. And that presumed some facts that were not in evidence. For instance, the fact that the, the vaccine provides permanent protection against getting infected and spreading the disease. There was no evidence of that in the randomized trials. The randomized trials did not look at whether it stopped disease transmission. We did, so they didn't know. They were premising of, of a, a major policy, which led to like vaccine mandates, restrictions on uh, basically, discrimination against unvaccinated individuals oh, uh, on the basis. Of, yeah, I mean, so you, I mean, I don't even think you need herd immunity. The point is that they were they were basing the recommendations, the policies that were causing all kinds of damage to social relationships, to people being able to keep 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 their jobs, being treated as second class citizens if they weren't unvaccinated. Essentially, they were premising it on uh, on essentially presumptions that didn't exist in the data, that the data hadn't even looked at in the randomized studies. It was inc- right. incredibly irresponsible. What they were trying to do, though, was they wanted to put down the natural performance or the, the way viruses go about a population. They wanted to put that down because people were getting... Remember when I presented that thing where the lady from... Um, uh, Stanford, Julie, uh, said that only 10% of the people had been exposed to the virus yet. And I said, no, 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 it's more like 55%. This is in September of 2020. And Fauci did it too. What they were doing is they were measuring the antibodies in people's blood and only 10% of them had antibodies to it. So they said only 10% has been exposed. But I said, yeah, wait a minute, uh, what about all the people who the, who whose antibodies are gone now that you wouldn't detect in the blood uh, that was in a population of Julie Parsonette. Julie yeah, Parsonette. I know. I know the study. She did a study. Was, that was a study of of uh, end stage renal disease patients, relatively right. sick patients. But the point is, she made claims they, and, that were not true. Even there, it's not. I mean, the point is that they're not a representative population. They were relatively vulnerable population that presumably uh, were less likely to be exposed than you know, like a. Uh, Okay, but but remember, you know, this applies to the general population, too. In other words, um, when you're only measuring the antibodies... So if if you're talking about that one study, you have to mention that it's end-stage renal disease people. 
Oh, certainly you do. Absolutely. But what um, my point was that if you're only measuring exposure by the number of people who have antibodies, you're missing out on people whose antibodies have are no longer in their blood. They only last about three months, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, among it's, other problems, it's, they're, they're not even looking at T cells, and T cells are way more important for than, for viral infections than antibodies are. I mean, their whole concept was no good. Okay, so, and then, so, like you mentioned earlier, they they changed the definition of herd immunity to only say that it comes from vaccines. Okay, and they so, took out natural immunity. Remember when they did that? Now, Reed. So we we have twenty four hours of 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 uh, of, of podcasts that we've recorded on these. So, like anyone who's interested can go find actually. Let's talk about that. Can they go find all 24 hours of us talking uh, about the science of COVID? They can't because YouTube took a bunch of them down, believe it There's or not. There's still a few up, right? There's, There's some th- up, yes. Okay. But some of them are down. And what I want to do is get somebody who understands how to manipulate computers and put things on different sites and everything and help me put all 24 hours in order on Rumble. So people literally, literally can go watch it all if they want. Um, so okay, we so, have gone over a lot of this stuff, as you know, and you don't want to go over it in detail again today. Yeah. So I just, I, I wanted to yeah. stay focused on the, on the censorship. Cause I think that that's, you know, okay. there's an illusion of consensus. I just want to like, just, so I just want to talk about a little bit about what, what was the harm of people not hearing us? Like what, what, oh. like what, and it's not just us, of course, there were a lot of people that were skeptical about the, about the, um, uh, a lot of the elements of science. There were a lot of people that were quite uh quite unhappy with the, the the idea that tony fauci is the science um right. uh so what and so what was what was the harm do you think from that like what, oh, what it, was we tremendous harm. it was i call it stochastic murder now you know i'm, I'm fond of using these extreme phrases and all as you, you always get a kick out of it but when you deprive people of information they could use to protect themselves or their family members from dying from something. That, that's what you've committed. And when they took down information that I had put up on YouTube, for example, again, it was probably a bad title, but one of the videos they took down with only four views was entitled by me, My 10 Reasons for Not Getting the Vaccine. You and, had, of course, they, they saw that title, and that thing was gone. But, of course, by then, my name was on some kind of a list, I think. And the reason I think so is because um, I would type in the exact title of my video sometimes, and it wouldn't even come up in that list on the right. And I typed in the exact title. I didn't just say vitamin D and COVID or something. I typed the exact title of my video in, and they wouldn't allow it to be shown on that list that you can choose from. So they were really shadow banning me, if you will, at that point. I mean, I, I say like a lot of folks felt that. Uh, I, I mean, I, I could see that it was happening. Yeah. Um, I have to say, like, and but, you know, at the same time, uh, I remember thinking uh, maybe I'm just being paranoid, right? That that that, that this this now, of course, there was the like the death threats and the specific attacks, but like when I would post on on yeah. social media, when I started, especially I, I joined Twitter in, in August of 2021. I'd post, I mean, sometimes like get posts where like just very, it was very odd behavior for how post was shown or not shown. It was, um, and I tried to, and back then Twitter verification involved applying and you have to be notable enough, um, oh. you know, and so I applied a couple of times and they turned me down. Um, and it was odd. It's like, I'm a professor in a, in a major medical school. I've done these studies on COVID. I'm on TV 
and yet Twitter doesn't think I'm notable enough to be blue, a blue check mark in Twitter 1.0. Um, what we found, uh, two things that we found uh, in tw- uh, 2022. One, when Elon Musk bought Twitter in tw- 2022, he opened the, the doors and uh, allowed people to see, allowed, allowed, allowed some reporters to come in. And one of the reporters, Barry Weiss, who runs the Feed Press, found I looked at the database of every single of, of that you know that, that records every single Twitter user, and she looked for me specifically because we were friends, um, and she know she knew about my story, and she found that I was on Twitter blacklist. Oh, Twitter 1.0 literally literally had put me on on something they called a, a trends blacklist, um, which guaranteed that my 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 posts if they, like maybe my followers would see it, but no one else would see it. Because you know, I guess I'm too dangerous. Um, this, and I and I, I wasn't the only one. Martin Kuldor, for instance, when we looked, had been on a trends blacklist off and on from you know starting in 2020, actually. Right. Harvard Medical School professor. There is no doubt in my mind that you were on some list. Read. Even even my followers, like on Facebook, I had a thousand followers or something, and I would write the ones that I knew a separate email to say, "Did you see that?" post I put in there yesterday, you know, did it come up on your feed? And they, they all said no. And I would email yeah. like 25 of them and I'd get all no's. That means they weren't even sending it to my followers. And here's another thing, Jay, as you know, you, you're very popular. And when someone would interview, like say Freddie or, you know, a substantial journalist would interview you, Tucker Carlson, et cetera, you, you'd get a half a million views at least sometimes a million. And when you and I did our wonderful 24 hours of discussion slash debates, which were great, I got 500 views on some of them, you know, a thousand times fewer views. And so it was because, certainly because I was shadow banned so bad. And then they would take them down, two well-meaning doctors discussing the issues and they took them down. So that's why I call it stochastic murder, because clearly if people had known that the vaccine, for example, this is just one example, did not prevent you from getting the disease and did not advance us toward herd immunity because we had already reached it for the Wuhan strain, more people got the vaccine than would not have if they had known that, that it wasn't even going to prevent them from getting the disease. And then Fauci and Walensky kept saying it for into July of 2021. Remember that? I mean, I've got tons of, of clips of Fauci and Walensky and Rachel I mean, Maddow they, they, like, and is, like, Joe they Biden. Couldn't, they couldn't stand the idea that there were people that would contradict them. Um, and let me just say, like, we now we've now now I'm placing direct blame on the public health officials. So let me give you the evidence for that. Okay. Um, the evidence for that comes from the Missouri versus Biden case. In that case, uh, which is brought by the Missouri and, and Louisiana Attorney General's offices against the Biden administration. I'm a plaintiff in that case. Yeah. We got to read the emails of the of officials from the CDC, the Surgeon General's office, the, uh, the the NIH, the White House itself. Those in their email correspondence with social media companies, they are often telling social media companies who and what to censor, what ideas to censor, and who to censor. And they will, and they th- essentially threaten these social media companies, saying, "If you don't censor, then we will regulate your comp- company out of existence." In, in effect, right. that's the implied threat. The, 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 the federal judges that looked at this basically call it an Orwellian ministry of truth. Uh, when I saw that evidence, I actually started to feel in a, weirdly 
sympathetic for the social media companies. They were kind of put, and now some of them they wanted to censor. Like I think Mark Zuckerberg wanted sure. to censor, um, yeah. but a lot of some of them probably were would have would have been, would rather have just been left alone. But they felt like they had to, or else they yeah. they would get pressure from the government that to you know censor or else essentially was the message. Yeah, remember um, Jack Dorsey was the head of Twitter when all this was going on for the most, you know, and he certainly did not mind censoring. Voices like ours, no question about that. He, he's as woke as you get, and 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 I found yeah, those I, I, mean, I found those emails too, and I was absolutely shocked at a lot of them because they came right out and said, "We're going to take this guy down." We took down twenty seven um, individuals from Facebook yesterday, and he was talking to Vivette Murthy, who is the Surgeon General. Yeah, and I'll tell you, he's also a doctor. He's not supposed to be doing this kind of stuff. You know, he has a tremendous platform and he's taking down people that were telling the truth. That's that's the thing that's really amazing. And they left up people that were wrong. There were people that were left up. One guy has six million views on his video that I put in my book that we, said by the, way, the we virus have, is transmitted by um, water droplets and it's still uh, up. I, by the way, I, I well, a couple of things. One, uh, we, we have about ten minutes left. I want to make sure people hear about your book because that 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 was one of the major reasons. So I wanted to invite you. You don't want to do another hour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the, the other thing is uh, the other the second thing. I you know I actually think it's not wrong to leave those 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 videos up if someone gets something wrong. You know what? Like the idea that uh, you are not allowed to not allowed to say false things on the internet is is, wrong. is, 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 is dangerous even absolutely. It doesn't right. just protect you from being right. It protects the people that are wrong too, the First Amendment. Yeah. But, right. you know, there's all sorts of legal people that'll say, oh, it's a private company. They're allowed. It doesn't apply to them, on and on and on and on. We're talking about life and death here. People had my videos where I was telling them the truth. They, they weren't able to, to listen to it. And so they stepped across the red line and some of them died because of it. I mean, I'd, I'd say, I, I guess I'd use a different argument. I mean, I, although I do think that it would have been much better had our uh, had your your contributions and, and my contributions not been censored. But I, but I do think, I think the key thing isn't whether we were right or wrong. I think the key thing is that out of the discussion between well-meaning, good faith people, uh, you, you you sort of inch your way toward the truth. You have, you have a new disease floating around. People are going to get things. They're going to be disagreements on the science. There's lots of just, I mean, just necessarily because it's a new disease. Hypoth- new hypotheses come up. Even in this conversation, we talked about things where we still disagree and we still aren't unsure, right? Because, yeah. and I think that's normal and good. Uh, you don't suppress that conversation. It's by allowing that conversation to happen that you make the most advances. Um, and and that no seems to be that that the public is so uh, so. Uh, dumb or stupid that, that they're not able to like listen to this and t- try to make sense of it. It's so demeaning to the public at large. The government has no right to think about the public that way. Right. And, and I agree with you on this. And I certainly agree that people who are wrong should also be allowed to say what they think. And, you know, believe me, they, they took down some people that I roll my eyes when I listen to them also, if you know what I mean. They're, they're wrong. You know, I'm talking about like the disinformation dozen. Sometimes they're wrong about things. Um, but to take down someone who was not wrong, and again, right and wrong is not the point. It's just that the people deserve to hear both sides, maybe. Let them decide 
based on the logic presented. No arguing from authority and all that junk. Just, just you need to make your case and explain. And I showed a graph of why we had reached herd immunity and why no one was vac- fully vaccinated at that point. And it's absolutely unassailable. And they I don't took think it it's down. But I will say that, that I don't think it should have been taken down. And we could have had a con- conversation about the data. I mean, the point is, okay, so let, we, should, we should move on because we only have eight minutes. I want to make sure that people hear about your book. If I, so okay. first, what is the title of your book? Okay, the title is Heroes and Villains, the COVID-19 Book of Lists. The COVID-19 Book of Lists. So, so right. you have in there, you know, the top uh, N people who lost their reputation, the damage to their reputation. The top N people who uh, sort of got things right on, on immunity. I mean, things like that, lists like that, yes, right? That's, right. There's, that's- there's about 150 different lists. And each one list. is based on the topic that I wrote above it. And there's this it's not just a list. You have you have a description of why each person oh, is sure. on the list. It's like, yeah, I justified why they were ranked there. Right. I, I found it enter- not, not that I agreed with everything you wrote. I mean, you can probably tell you uh, folks listening can tell you Reed and I always have fun, fun, fun conversations because we don't always agree on things. And it's right. not that I agreed on everything, but I do I did I did find it an immensely entertaining read. Um uh, and, and so, so like, uh, but so I just wanted to give uh, listeners a flavor of it so they can get a sense. Uh, so why don't you tell us your, I know you have a hundred, like 150 lists. We'll just focus on a couple. Uh, okay. Like the, 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 the men and women. Well, let's just focus on villains because you have heroes and villains. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not, we, we're not going to talk about heroes. Uh, I, I don't even want to know if I'm a, I'm a hero or a villain on this. You're not allowed to say he read. Um, but you, you, uh, you can uh, tell us who you think are the top five villains. Top five, uh, you said you, you divided into men and women. So top yeah. top top five male villains and, and top five female villains. Why don't we start with okay. the women? All right, we'll start with the women. The top, the, these are women responsible for the most death and destruction. Okay. And number one was Deborah Burks. Deborah Burks, she was the coordinator. The she was the coordinator of the White House task force for uh, President Trump. Correct. And remember, she pushed lockdowns which ended up causing more death than anything, except we don't know about the vaccines yet. That's, that's a story that's still being told. But as far as the non-pharmaceutical interventions, the, the lockdowns caused the most death and destruction. You would agree with that for sure. I do, I do. In fact, we're not done with the deaths from lockdown. Right, so we're not done with it yet either. But Dr. Uh, Burks pushed lockdowns when there was absolutely no evidence um, supporting that decision and pushed it to President Trump. And the other thing she did, and she wrote this in her book now, I'm not making something up. She bragged about tricking him into extending the lockdowns after two weeks. Remember um, um, two weeks to flatten the curve? It was going to be over by Easter, all that stuff. Do you remember that, Jay? Yeah, no, okay. I, read, I read She, the book. she tricked him into extending them. So she's number one on the list. Number okay. two is Dr. Rochelle Walensky. Former CDC um, director. The CDC director. That's Former right. Former CDC director. Yeah. That's correct. Number three is Leanna Wynn, Dr. Leanna well, well, Wynn. Let's, let's talk about Rochelle Walensky. What, what, okay. what, what, what was the reasoning for her? Okay. A very simple one. There's multiple ones, believe me, because they were withholding information from the public and so forth. But the biggest one by far was her endorsement of lockdowns, school closures, extending the school closures really destroyed the lives of a lot of young people. 
But the biggest one was when she continued to say that if you have the vaccine, you cannot spread it to anyone else and you cannot get it yourself. The virus, I mean. Yeah, that when she did that, that she made a lot of people have false security, thinking if they got the vaccine, they could mix in whatever company they wanted and they would be protected. That was not true. And she did so six months after I had proved that the vaccines were not blocking transmission. Okay, and, Lena and went. Three months after the general medical community had agreed that that was the case. Remember in, in March, late March, everybody knew that the vaccines weren't blocking transmission. Remember? I mean, I, I mean, I was pretty harsh on her uh, dur- during her tenure as CDC director on Twitter for exactly those reasons you just said. That, yeah. that so that's plus- why she's ranked number two. It was a very religion. close call between her and Dr. Leanna Wynn. Who, who, Dr. Leanna Wynn came on the she's scene a, much earlier, of course. She is, she's a, she was a CNN personality, right? A yes. doctor uh, who, uh, who would, was, was very often seen on CNN, sometimes I think on MSNBC, uh, early on pushing school closures and lockdowns, and later arguing that, uh, that, that, that we should essentially discriminate against unvaccinated individuals. Correct. I remember. Now, but, I, 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 in Cambodia, I can't get, any channel except for CNN. So I watched CNN religiously. I had it on in my room all the time. And I watched all of the MDTV mafia fill the air with nonsense the entire time. And she was one of the primary people. But can I just speak a word in her defense? She did change her mind. Let me speak a word in her defense. Uh, She did change her mind. She did. She's now against lockdown. She calls him a non-starter. Yeah, and and she started. I think and part of the problem was like I think she has young children, and she saw the harm to her kids. Um, and you know what? Uh, I have a lot of sympathy for people that change their minds. I don't. I don't really want to condemn them. I do think that what she was talking about, essentially discriminating against uh, unvaccinated individuals, that was really unfortunate. Did a lot of harm to public yeah, health. That was uh, so I, I think she that earns a spot on on the list. But I don't. Uh, I, I've seen a lot, especially people that were for lockdowns, turn on her in nasty ways yes. after she she decided changed her mind. And I I felt a lot of sympathy for her. I have to say, she has suffered because she changed her mind. Some of the far yeah. woke powers that be have removed her from speaking engagements and removed yeah. her from being on committees uh, because think, she changed her mind. But and I I'll think tell on you, our side, the, the, on our side, I think we should be op- like friendly to people to change them. I like, I mean, I, I want our, uh, the anti-lockdown coalition to be pretty broad. Even people that, that previously were in favor of them that, that, that come over, I think I'm, I'm open to, uh, I mean, I always want to learn from people that disagree with me. And, uh, and I, I see what you mean. We can't be so harsh that someone makes a mistake, you know, two months into it, they didn't think it through very well or didn't even look at the data or something. And then, you know, brand them for life. However, yeah. when these people were doing all this, when they were on the wrong side of it, a lot of people were dying because of it. Let's face yeah, it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have a, a, an honest uh, judgment of what, what went wrong and right and what people did right, wrong and right. I'm just saying that I think um, we, I, I'd, I'd rather have a more forgiving society. If, if well, you, I know if you, you would. You're such a nice person. I'm not as nice as you, Jay. I'm really <laughs> mad about this. I'm but, so um, mad you, but All right, three, four. Uh, four was Susan, uh, Susan Wojcicki, who was the CEO of YouTube at the time. 
And I really came down hard on her for taking videos down that were correct and leaving ones up that were wrong. They're still they're still suppressing the videos. It's, it's, oh, I know it is- they are. Absolutely. A lot of people have switched over to Rumble because of it or, or one of the other uh, platforms. But she she really had she, she was a uh, she went to Harvard. Her father, she's an interesting case, Jay, I'll tell you. Her father was the head of the physics department at Stanford. That's the environment she grew up in. And um, she went to Harvard and she majored in humanities and then went to business school. So she didn't know anything about medical science. I think it's fair to say. Yet she's taking down videos from people like me. And her sister sister started her sister started the uh, started 23 and me. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, her sister started 23 and me. I'll tell you, that's a heck of a family, isn't it? Yeah. Did you know that did you know that Google was started in their garage? That's I how she became that. the CEO of YouTube. Yeah. She was the 17th employee at Google. That's pretty okay, good. Isn't it? We gotta go five. We're, we're, we're running out of time, Reed. We gotta we oh, gotta no. go. Let's, let's do five. You don't want to do, do another five. hour? <laughs> I do, but we, I, I got I gotta get home. So let's do number five. Oh. Number five. Who's number, number five? Number five in the women. We haven't done the men yet. Now, how much know, time we'll do we do the men? Okay, uh, we'll um, the men. Yeah. Number five is um, Zhang Shili of China, who ran the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And the reason I've got her on here this high is because she did not tell the truth when she was interviewed by Scientific American back when everybody was trying to figure out where this virus came from. She said that the the pneumonia that killed all the Mojang miners, remember them in 2014? She said that it was a fungal pneumonia and all of the radiology showed that it was a viral pneumonia. So she's lying about it from the very beginning. Then she took down all the database, which was the sequence of codons, you know, the the genomic sequence and all these coronaviruses they had on file on their website. She took it all down and her excuse was it's getting too many hits. Really strange. And somebody from from Galveston probably um, told her to take that down immediately. We have some evidence on that, too. I mean, I think I think what you have is is very clear evidence of a cover up around uh, the the, the research surrounding this virus before the pandemic. Um, And it's striking, like science shouldn't be done in the dark. Um, We have so much evidence that there was this was done before the pandemic started. It's unbelievable. It's just. I mean, I, I I tend to lean toward the lab leak theory for that reason. Uh, I know you. Yeah, you know, I just that should really lean you away from the lab leak theory, though. This thing was released on purpose. It was released deliberately. Uh, I I don't think there's evidence of that, uh, but I don't know. I mean, we. But let okay. No, 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 no Let's stay. Let's stay on topic. Let's go to okay. the men. Stay on top five. Top five well, men. The, the number six on the women is Randy Weingarten. Because of all the lives that she basically destroyed by keeping these schools closed longer. Remember, she you was know, locking Michelle Walensky the whole time to keep them I closed did, longer. I did, I did a debate with her during the pandemic in 2021. Uh, oh, I want to see that. Tracy Beth Hug and uh, Randy Weingarten and, she, and two doctors that she chose. It was on, it was like it, it ended up being about school, whether schools should open and about mask mandates. Um, and the striking thing, and uh, maybe we'll put a link to the debate uh, down in the in the uh, show notes. But like the uh, the striking thing, about that debate to me was that while Tracy Beth Hogg and I were citing studies, study after study on mass and so on, um, 
none of the doctors on her side or her cited a single study like that. It was just raw assertion. It was, it was, it was really quite striking. Yeah. I mean, um, the, 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 the literature makes it crystal clear. I put it in my, my first video. And then when I redid it in October and in my book, you know, they've done meta analyses on all these randomized controlled trials for masks, trying to prevent the spread of influenza over the years, 73 years worth. And in not a single case was it, um, did it slow the transmission significantly? Okay. So uh, now let's turn to the men, top five men. Although you okay. had a bonus sixth for women. I saw you sneak that in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it did hurt those students who had. It did. Uh, it did. I, yeah. I, I'll, I'll let it go just because, you know, we need to memorialize the, the harm to students done by oh, the unions who want to keep schools closed. Yeah. Number one on the men's list, uh, these are men who responsible for the most death and destruction now. Number one is Anthony Fauci. No big surprise there, but he had his fingertips in every part of this, including the cover cover up of with with uh, Christian Anderson and that crowd down in La Jolla that 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 published the opinion piece called the proximal origin of SARS two. After they two days earlier, they had sent him a memo. They said this thing doesn't look this thing looks engineered, and then two days later they write the proximal origin paper uh, opinion now, piece I, for I, nature. I I, th I think to me, Tony Fauci's cardinal sin, there's so many you could say, but like on, on, during the COVID yeah. pandemic is the idea that he, he, uh, he gave an interview where he was asked about uh, criticisms of him uh, by Rand Paul and others. And he said that if you criticize me, you're not simply questioning a man, you're criticizing science itself. Yeah, That yeah. kind of hubris is guaranteed to lead to problems. Absolutely. Especially in the, in, I mean, he effectively was the, the, the de facto president of the United States for at least two years in 2020, yeah. 2021. I mean, he, he but basically. But you know what's amazing? Ajay, I've got a list on here, the, the, um, the biggest revisionist historians. And he's number one on that list, too, because he's now saying, t telling, trying to tell everybody that he didn't push for lockdowns. But of course, we have the video of his speech at Holy Cross, where he went to undergraduate, where he says, I told the president to shut everything down. So we've got the proof that he's lying about it. Okay, number um, two. Number two, Francis Collins, sadly, I'll say. And I think you would agree with me on that, wouldn't you? Terrible would, to yeah. see what, what Francis Collins got his cooties into. I'm not kidding. But well, he, he was a fringe epidemiologist. He, he oh. called for a devastating takedown because of the Great Branton Declaration. And it yeah. really does sadden me. Like, I had a tremendous amount of respect for him before yeah. the pandemic. Well, um, think about this guy was a giant of molecular biology in the 20th century. He headed the Human Genome Project. Can you yeah. imagine how favorably history would have looked on him when, when all that, the benefits of that come out? But then he threw it all away by doing these things that I'll tell you, I can't explain starting with the Great Barrington um, Declaration um, takedown and the um, characterization of you, Sunetra Gupta, and Martin Kuldorf as fringe epidemiologists. I mean, think about that for a second. He picked the three worst people he could have said that about. <laughs> well, you, know on the plus I mean? side, uh, you, you, you did uh, send me as a gift read a fantastic yeah. business card uh, that has fringe epidemiologists on it, which I will treasure forever. Yeah. Um, I, so, I sent you two boxes of them. You did. So okay. I hope you've so, given them out a lot. I, I, I know I'm, I'm I've given out a few of them, but now they're collector's items. So if yeah. people that meet me, they have to, 
Ask me, ask you me special. You can sell them on eBay. <laughs> Number three. Number three is Peter Daszak. And the reason Peter Daszak goes way up here is because, remember, he wrote his own alibi, if you will, and published it in Lancet and got 26 famous virologists to sign it. Do you remember so Peter, that letter? Just, just, so, just so the, the listeners know who, who maybe they have not may not have heard of him, Peter Daszak was the head of is the head of EcoHealth Alliance. EcoHealth right. Alliance is a subcontractor, a contractor to the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, and they used the money from the NIAID headed by Tony Fauci to fund research on gain of function work and other other collaborations at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, right. including on. Uh, on on uh, on this SARS-CoV-2 virus, potentially. Correct. Remember when I showed you the proposal to DARPA that he created for 2019, and it showed, it, it listed what he had been doing with those bats in those caves, in those Yunnan caves. They were fiddling around with, with coronavirus backbones, putting all sorts of weird stuff on these creations they were making, injecting I mean, them into bats, all, including, and letting them fly freely in there. Including molecular biological uh, 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 entities like the furin cleavage site that, uh, that are not found in the vast majority of, in fact, I think basically almost any other coronavirus, but yeah. is found in the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Right. And, and the thing about the, the furin cleavage site is, they needed a way for the virus to be able to infect other, to go from human to human. That's why it was put in there. That goes all the way back to February 20th when I proved that it could not have come from natural zoonotic spillover. Because as soon as this thing got into the communities, it was immediately uh, transferable from person to person. They skipped the stage that was the basis for my proof. Now, here's the thing about it. The furin cleavage site increases the fusion rate okay, of the virus with the uh, host, correct? So that allows the, um, the amount of virus, the viral load to be high enough so that it can be transmitted from person to person. That's why they put that in there. Because in natural uh, life, uh, it's very unusual for a virus to be able to go from person to person. Now, most people think, oh, wait, he's wrong there because influenza and everything else does. Yeah, but think... There's 10 to the 31 viruses in the world, and there's only like a handful that we can say can go from person to person. 10 to the 31 is a huge number. And usually what happens is a virus can infect a person and they can get sick, but they cannot pass it on to another person, just like hantavirus that we talked about. Remember the southwestern U.S. virus that, that has a 40% mortality rate but cannot go from person to person? Because if it did, we'd all be dead. Think yeah, about think it. There are evolutionary pressures that make that make it like that. Uh, I mean, although that you know, obviously that's not perfect. Uh, but but it, but it's true. Like there's many, many, many viruses, and only like a, a, a couple hundred, three hundred. I mean, on that order that spread from human to human. Yeah, one per fifty years or something. I'm not kidding. It's very rare to go from human to human. Okay, so now uh, number four. Okay, number four is fairly obvious. It's um, Albert Bourla, the veterinarian who is the head, uh, who is the CEO of Pfizer. Of course, the we could talk for another seven hours about the trials and the shenanigans that went on there. We're still discovering unbelievable things they did in those trials. 
They were taking people that were in the vaccinated group if they got a, a, a serious adverse event and putting them into the unvaccinated group in the trials. We have proof of it now. And so I mean, he think, must um, have known they were doing all that. I Number guess five I'd say, I'd, is Stefan well, Hold on. Huh? Hold on. Oh, so we can discuss both of them together. So yeah, Ben together, and absolutely. Borla. Bansell and Borla are the CEOs of, of Pfizer and Moderna, respectively. I have to yes. say, like, to, to me, I mean, I think there there is a mixed legacy on this. I, I'll okay. tell you why. Yeah, let me tell you why I think it's mixed. Uh, I think one, uh, they, the um, the the creation of contracts to uh, to make a vaccine rapidly that was a decision of governments, and in particular, the American government decided to do that uh, with with the mRNA vaccines. Um, so like they're, they're responding to contracts. So I think they're secondary players in that sense, not the primary players. Uh, the, and, and, then, and then second, um, you know, it, you can make an argument that in 2021 that it, that the, that, that it reduced the mortality risk for the people that, that were at the highest risk that got it. I think that the, you can make that argument. I've read the literature and, and, you know, maybe you and I disagree on this, but that's, yeah. that, that's I think, a reasonable re- reading the literature. And again, we can, we can disagree. We don't have time to discuss it now, do we? Well, no, I, I, well, just, let me just finish my point. Then we can. Please, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. So uh, the second thing, but I do agree with you that they were tremendously uh, dishonest at least their companies were, not they themselves, about the the efficacy, the necessity of the vaccine for young people. I don't. They were they were very quick to hide and 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 base. And I just saw a report that Moderna hired forty five thousand health professionals to essentially troll people that were are, are sort of undermining or reducing the demand for the vaccines. So if you posted, for instance, that that uh, you know you have myocarditis, that you know somebody who had myocarditis, or that you're posting even an article, a peer-reviewed article showing myocarditis in young men, you would have some some doctor troll telling you that you're a bad bad scientist or you're anti-vax or whatever, even though you're just posting facts. And it was a policy of those companies to to induce those trolls and undermine the uh, essentially create this propaganda campaign. The other thing is that they 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 vastly oversold the uh the the efficacy of the virus of the vaccine against getting from you getting and spreading COVID. vastly well, oversold. and jay you know you you have to subtract the placebo effect also when you look at the numbers on that and i can tell you you can make a placebo look like it's 95 percent effective in the first few weeks because they were counting in the first two weeks they weren't counting people who got the disease Part oh, no, of the that, vaccinated that, group, remember that you, you and I, you and I agree on that. Um, okay, so I, yeah, but I do, I do. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, uh, I mean, we can, we. This is this is a topic for another podcast. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know that the vaccine on. Net, I don't know the net effect of the vaccine. I think it's likely in the places where they tended to focus it on older people in 2021, it probably saved lives, uh, but I don't know that for a fact. Uh, that when in pl- especially in places where lots and lots of younger people got it, uh, and actually the other thing about the the calculus around this, I think that it, uh, I think that the way the vaccine was rolled out, the overselling of it, both by both by the companies themselves and also by governments, it's it's led many people to distrust all vaccines, including that's ones that true. I agree, and that's one of the problems with what came out of it. Although yeah. I'll tell you. After listening to Robert Kennedy and looking into it myself, 
a lot of what he says is true. Don't you agree? I I mean, I think there's some, there's some things that he's, he's a very interesting guy. And I think there's some things where he is absolutely like he's, he there, he's identified correct, correctly shortcomings in the vaccine literature. There are also places where I think he's, he's over, overstated what he's, uh, his, his doubts. Uh, But again, this is a topic for another, 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 but in fact, we are at the end of time. Um, Well, I've got one, one more for the top five. Or do you not want to do it? No, you, this um, is number six. You're okay. Well, I'll, let, I'll allow number six. No, it's number five. Wait. Oh, it's number five. Okay, go ahead. No, it's number six. You're right. Monstef <laughs> Slaoui. He was the leader of the Operation Warp Speed that Trump hired. Oh, right, right. No good. Messed up. Big time. See, I'm, I, I guess I'll disagree with you about that. Oh, um, can I I'll tell you my reasons? Again. Well, you well, well. Let me give you my reasons for fast, and you can you can reply and let you have the last oh, word. Okay. Um, uh, my reason is that Operation Warp Speed is not by itself an unreasonable reaction to a pandemic, right? The, the developing treatments rapidly and trying to develop vaccines rapidly is not necessarily a wrong thing to do. To me, the problem with Operation Warp Speed is that uh, given that it only evaluated the vaccine for maybe two months or three months of the trial, it, it, it wasn't enough data to warrant the the policies that followed, which was to recommend the vaccine at scale to literally everybody. So I'm going then, after uh, the leader of the warp speed. He didn't let him make him evaluate it long enough. I agree totally. Yeah, I see. I guess I, 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 I guess, one of the reasons. I, I mean, I guess I would. I would. Um, there's a trade off here, right? So, like, you want to have a vaccine as rapidly as possible because you see this deadly virus going around and you see pe- people locking down and scared and you think maybe the vaccine can get you out of that. Um, versus like if you do the evaluation of too short a time, you're not going to, you're going to have very incomplete information about the vaccine, right? Yeah. I think you could have threaded the needle there. You could have said, okay, well, we've done this trial for three months and then been honest with the public about what was known or what was not known. We don't know what the long-term safety profiles is. You could have said that. You could have said, here's here's what we found uh, with the protection against symptomatic infection. We didn't check to see if it stops transmission. They could have been absolutely forthcoming and honest about the vaccine trials. I don't know that this guy you know, was the what guy. Happened if they had done that, nobody would have taken the vaccine. I don't know that's true. I think a lot of older people would have taken it. If you, but if, I think if a lot you, of older people would have taken it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, like, I think, but I do think that whatever it was, the result would have been better, at least more ethical. It would have not violated informed consent rights. It would have been, it would have been consistent with uh, the the way that I always thought medicine was, was the ethical principles that medicine had, right? You don't force uh, medicines on people. You work with people, not, not like over them. It's medicine. Medicine, in my mind, has never, as, as I mean, was not an authoritarian thing, but yet it turned into one during the pandemic. I'll tell you, Joe, that ship had already sailed up about them being ethical with this thing. I mean, golly, you would not believe what they got away with with the trials. Shifting the dead vaccinated into the unvaccinated group and all that. Yeah, we, well, we could talk about the trials another time in another. Yeah. But I do agree there were some shenanigans. So let, let's yeah. um, 
let us end there. Uh, th- 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 Reed, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I hope so the listeners who listen can hear like the first, first the, the respect we have for each other, and also for the for the fact that we can talk in, about things we do agree and disagree with it, it in a in a way that I hope is entertaining and productive. Um, yeah. uh, I've certainly have learned a lot from you, Reed, over the years, and, and I'm and I'm grateful for you. Um, Same here, Jay. This revision I'm doing of this book now has turned it into a 500 page book. But they are eight and a half by 11 pages so people can understand the graphs better. And it's not just lists. It's my theories proved to the people one after the other about lockdowns, why they why I knew before they were even instituted that they couldn't work. They were exactly the opposite of what should have been done and so forth. So people can get this book. And these as as we have just demonstrated, these lists are real conversation starters. Why is Slaoui ranked above Sanjay Gupta, for example, in people who caused the most death and destruction? So So, um, um, thank you. Thank you, Reed. And thank you, listeners. Uh, Until next time, uh, this is Professor Jay Bhattacharya for the Illusion of Consensus podcast.